I think we all start podcasts for personal reasons at first and then find out why they mean something to someone else. And we had that first episode. And on the way to the episode, as life does, I hit a rock. Blew out a tire, was an hour late. We started at midnight that day. And our episode was on origin stories. So we started off with, okay, a giant rock hits the earth. What next? Welcome to Podcasting in Real Life, the Buzzcast show where we dive into the real-life stories of podcasters in the middle of their podcasting journey. I'm your host, Travis Albritton, head of content at Buzzsprout, and you won't hear anyone famous on these podcast episodes. Instead, you'll hear everyday podcasters, just like you, share personal stories about how podcasting has impacted them and the things that they've learned along the way. And in today's conversation, I had the privilege of sitting down with the host of Here Be Tigers, Jared surf. Now, Jared is a fantastic storyteller. And I know this because while we were doing the interview, I kept getting so wrapped up in the stories that he was sharing, I would lose my train of thoughts. Like he would stop telling the story, which is normally where I would prompt another question. And I was totally lost. I was just, I had lost my train of thought. It's like, okay, hold on. I got to figure out where we're going next. And so you're definitely in for a treat as far as just listening to someone who is an incredible storyteller and incredible at their craft. And one of the things that I really appreciated about my conversation with Jared is we tried to dive deep into the the opportunity we have as podcasters, right? The opportunity that we have to share real, honest stories about the things that truly matter. And you'll hear several of those stories in the episode and then also us kind of, you know, talk out what it looks like for us to do that with intention with the guests that we have on our show and the kinds of personal stories that we choose to share as well. Now, Jared went to school in order to become a professional writer, but it was amidst a series of personal difficulties that his journey into podcasting began. I want to say somewhere around 2013 or 14, it was a few years after I'd graduated from USC's Master's of Professional Writing and had emerged from that thinking, I'm going to be a professional writer. I'm going to write books and get published and make money. Yes, well about then. It was also at a time where self-publishing was becoming more emergent, so the competition was fierce. And although I had written a book in order to graduate, it was not at that point a good book and would need many years to become one. So that clearly wasn't going to become the way I made money then. And I was working as a freelancer, PR marketing, social media, all that. Podcasting had been around for a while, and I realized... I like interviewing people. I like telling stories. I should be in on this too. But I needed to have that unique thing. What's the offer or the opportunity or the idea I have that would be compelling to someone else? And thought, I know a lot of authors. And the thing I find fascinating about them, yes, their stories are cool and interesting, but they are too. And if you get into the, re- the, the history of who they are and why and how they wrote it and what led them to that idea... That's almost always fascinating. So I put the call out there. Hey, I'm starting a podcast. I'll be hosting it on Huffington Post because I had been invited to, at that point, write on what was then an exclusive. You had editors and everything that filtered out or determined whether you're eligible. And this is still a fascinating interview with a woman, Barbara Annis, about her whole research on gender intelligence. And I could go on for a million years about that because I was consulting for New York Life on the women's market and Gen Y, too. So there was a lot of cross-pollination. But... I said, I'll host it on HuffPo because the platform's there. It's easy to share. I will put it on SoundCloud. That was big at the time. But I need a name. I need an idea, right? So I thought, 
in character, because people are characters too, right? So the first few interviews I had with Eric Brock, who was episode one on that, which has been re-released, I think, as episode 10 now on Here Be Tigers over the holidays. And Little Bit Snellings were f- incredible, phenomenal stories. Brock was on the history of how technology, particularly phone, internet, our, communica- our, our telecom industries emerged. Yeah, there's a whole section, of course, on the classic Edison-Tesla fight and all that. But his reasons, being a journalist and an investigator who wanted to find out these stories and loving the history and wanting to share that, that was a fascinating experience. Little bit, I don't know if you've ever heard of the, there was a hotel, and I'm, I, th- I want to call it the Grand Wilshire, I'm, that might not be the right name, but it's in West Hollywood. This is so California. There was a display in the front entrance of this hotel. It was a whole room in glass, encased in glass, called The Box. And you could sign up to be a model or a resident in the box for a certain time of the day, so long as you adhere to certain rules. Lilibet had come out to California to get into the modeling industry, acting, and all these other California dreams as a millennial, and soon discovered that, yes, while this was an opportunity to be seen, it was also an opportunity to be seen and have nowhere to hide. And... That reflection of the whole panopticon experience and self-publicizing and the millennial desire to be known and heard led her to writing Box Girl, My Life in a Part-Time Art Installation. And her story is phenomenal, too. I'll pitch it willingly because it's a great read and just a... If you want to see the millennial journey in a book, there you are. I've had some other interviews that followed from there, but I had a technical issue really early on in the third one. I don't know where she was in her kitchen or something. Pots, pans, all other kind of noise. And we came to the time for that uh, the editing conversation. She went, oh, honey, can't you just, you know, cut all that out of your 90-minute conversation? <laughs> Not quite so easy. I said, sure, just let me log the hours that this is going to require, as well as the bill I'll attach to that for you. If we want, to, uh, we'll go that direction, sure. But, you know, my time is valuable, too. <laughs> so uh, around that time, I was looking into launching an agency, joining some other folks. And I had to put the podcast to the side for a bit to figure out how to get the actual life of that running. And as life goes, the month after, so we finalized the paperwork for PB&J Consulting, our agency for PR marketing, social media, had a few clients. The month after we had officially been certified as an actual name LLC and all that, this is January, I slip and fall on ice. Just head first go flying lose consciousness, have no idea I'm lying in the snow or the ice. And it takes a while to diagnose everything, but I've severely herniated one of the discs in my neck to the point where the best way to describe it is that point in the Jenga tower where there's that one piece that's so far out, it's, it's in, it's, it's in. But if you pull it any further, the whole thing's going to go. So when I finally saw a spinal surgeon to the end of all these other attempts at trying to fix it. He said, no, I would like to do this for you now because if we don't, next year I'll be taking out two or three of those. That's a long recovery. And again, I was interviewing people and trying to figure out where the show should go. I had this idea for jam sessions, which was the business end of that, success stories and whatnot. And I even interviewed a fellow. Great conversation. I need to post that episode. Eddie, met him at the National Speakers Association. I'm blanking on the entirety of the title for his book, but his primary focus was on the benefits of mentorship between generations. He entered into his career by having someone much older than him pair up with him to create a business. And that 
combination of the experience and the youthful energy and the insights from technology or from that point of view on technology, but open doors for both of them that neither could do by themselves. And Eddie used that as a platform to create a whole teaching model for how we can run business in addition to how he became or talking about how he became successful leveraging new tech opportunities. So he was a great speaker. And I wanted to roll that out as episode one for Jam Sessions. PB&J, Jam Sessions, you know, branding, right? But as I was saying, life has its own way of going. And on my birthday that year, I came home to visit my dad, only to find him with a 104-degree fever dying of sepsis. And you don't have time to think about anything else. You call the hospital, you rush him down, you're there. I am recovering from my spinal surgery still, so I'm barely able to stand up past a certain time of night because I just want to pass out. And the doctor comes and says, look, well, you're fortunate you brought him in now because an hour later, this would be a different experience for all of us. My dad was a gardener and he had been outside without any gloves and caught something from the plants he was working with. Eerily enough, how the woman who lived in the house before passed, which is surreal. But we lectured him and said, look, you're going out there with gloves. You know, you're going to take care of yourself. You know, he's in his 80s. He's 84 now. He's going to listen to what he wants to listen to. Five weeks later, I'm visiting a friend in Somers. I get a phone call. My mom calls and says, your dad has just been hit by a car. He was 83 then. Yeah, it's 84 now. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe it's a, you know, bump. They're, they were visiting folks down in Yonkers. She says, no, 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 he, he, we're, we're taking him down to Jacoby. He's in the ambulance, and you have to get down here now. Like, now. I got to Jacoby at around 10 p.m. I think I saw him the next morning at 5 a.m. He was in surgical ICU the entirety of, the, of that time. We weren't allowed to even speak to him. Just occasionally hear vague updates from doctors, and soon. Always soon. And, of course, by the time we did see him, he was so bandaged and drugged up, he didn't even know who we were. But the doctors explained that the vehicle, however fast it had been going, uh, hit him well. Uh, so well that he went up in the air, smashed all his teeth out, while broke his glasses, as well as 88 bones in his body, shattered part of his pelvis, his collarbones... At 83, they were amazed that someone live had come to them, and they were trying their best to keep him that way. We get home at 7 o'clock that morning and receive another call. Can we embolize his femoral artery? Because the pelvic bone had slipped when he was trying to move in order to get to the cruise he thought he was still going to, and they needed to stabilize that because the bone had severed the artery. We say, yes, immediately, we'll come right back down. So... We're there talking with him. He's hallucinating, babbling in French, asking me if the dog is being walked. And my mom's in the back room talking to her sister, telling them nothing about this because we're still trying to process it. When her sister explains to her that my grandmother is dying of a heart attack. I don't know this because I'm standing there. My dad is still yammering at me in French and he's holding onto my arm. And I realize in this moment I am 35 now. I'm 35. And I don't remember the last time he held my hand. And I don't know... It, is this is this it here? Just is this how it ends? Is this how it goes? Because as that hits me, I'm watching his oxygen drop down from ninety to sixty, back up to eighty, down a little again. It's fluctuating. It's too, nothing is stable. The heart rate starts to go down. My mom's on the phone talking to her sister, incredibly agitated. I'm waving to the doctors. He's digging his nails into my arm. 
And finally, they managed to pull him off of me. They grab my mom, yank her out of the room. She's completely unsure what to do. I just, I don't know how we extracted her, but we got her out of the room back to there. I explained what was happening. She explained what was happening. And we just sat there and went, well, <laughs> what the, what else? What else? As it turns out, my grandmother would continue to have strokes and heart attacks throughout the remainder of that month. So we didn't tell her, of course, anything that was going on. My dad, we finally stabilized two weeks later. He went to Helen Hayes for a traumatic brain injury, which he's still recovering from, but he is alive and different. And that's hard. That's incredibly hard because sometimes he doesn't remember that I've been there. But all of this I bring up because it led me to a point of going and wonder, or led me to a point of wondering, where am I going with my life? I want to write. I want to tell stories. I want to do things that I actually love and care about. And yeah, I can convince myself I've got another 70, 80 years. But (laughs) you don't know. You just don't. And I would rather spend the time I have doing what I love and giving that and helping people I care about to do the thing they love and want to do. So I need to figure out what that is. And that's when Tom and Steve and Dave came back to me and said, hey, it was fun being on our show, right? You want to come back and do more of that. So being on the Geekly Oddcast, being on Outer Worlds, doing the ridiculous, hey, let's take a child movie and turn it into a horrifying Halloween premise, complete with voice (laughs) acting and song and... People doing Giger and Randy Newman songs for horrible Halloween movies with comedians. I needed that. It was therapeutic. I was an awful person at that point, And I said terribly gross and awful things, not in like the perverse way, but just as I was angry. I was so angry at everything. And I needed a place where I didn't have to be anything but who I was then. So, yeah, they could allow me to be the one with the dark and the horrible ideas that they could twist into the funny. And I slowly started to crawl back out of that into, okay, what's actually fun about this? What brings joy, both to me and to someone else, out of this? And oddly enough, that brought me back around to my experiences at grad school, working with playwrights and poets and screenwriters. James Reagan, the guy who founded our program, he said, look, even if you're not the best poet or the screenwriter or any one of these genres of writing, You're going to work with the best. You're going to struggle with the best. You're going to fight and be challenged by them. You will learn. My playwriting teacher taught me beat structure like no one else could. Gabrielle Pena, my first writing teacher I ever had there, she gave an assignment at the end of it when she, of course, had me read because I'm the fool sitting next to her. So she turns around and says, all right, 40 minutes are up. Read what you wrote. Pen to paper. I read it. She says, what the? Did you you think you were going to write that? And I went, no. And she said, all right. Lesson one, lesson one, if you're not surprising yourself, you're not surprising your readers. And I still hold on to that. So these were the kind of people I studied with. These were the folks I'd sit down with at the bar, and we'd talk for hours on end about what we were writing. Book, film, screenplay, television, chapbook, life experiences, fiction or not, and work it, workshop it. Beat out the worst ideas. Make them better. And I said to my friends, Would you be willing to humor me for an episode? I don't know if we're even going to go anywhere with this. I just, I want to try doing this with someone else and talking about it again as a process because it's so much faster and it elucidates so much for me. And yeah, initially therapy, selfish, personal. I think we all start podcasts for personal reasons at first and then find out why they mean something to someone else. And we had that first episode and on the way to the episode, as life does, I hit a rock. Blew out a tire, was an hour late. We started at midnight that day. 
And our episode was on origin stories. So we started off with, okay, a giant rock hits the earth. What next? Let's just take an origin myth premise and go with it. Here Be Tigers emerged out of me wanting to show others what it's like to write, what that process is in actuality, the pain, the confusion, the stupidity. And then I slowly began to realize I'm not the only one creating things. I want other folks to share their journeys as well. What they've learned, what they've created, what inspires them. So that's where we're at now. So, first of all, you're a fantastic storyteller. And so, so all of that training that you've done, definitely well worth it. Um, at least from where I'm, I'm sitting. I'm trying to think of the best place to go next, because honestly, I'm, I'm just a little entranced. Um, no, there's... There are so many moments that led to this. There was... I don't know... And the thing you find about stories, like I tease my dad about this, and this is probably a good one to go with because I'm always reminded of things that are other stories that connect to me in ways or experiences. I had a hard time relating to my dad because he's Asperger's. He has a difficult time reading people and knowing when he's connecting with them, when they're interested and engaged. But you can drop down and say Antietam. You can say Vietnam, any type of historical moment, and he will just go into the world and the life of that. So I've definitely earned that from him as well as from my my mother's side too, but I didn't connect with him until I was reading in grad school Ray Bradbury's short story, The Time Machine. For for the listeners, it's from his book, Dandelion Wine, which is, even if you don't like science fiction or Bradbury in general, it's this beautiful story of his own life mythologized. It's a great read. And each chapter is its own story in a way, but in, in The Time Machine, the kids, Douglas and his friends, go to visit the last time machine they know, which is this old, old veteran. And he's in a rocking chair. He's the one phone that can only dial the one number, which is to his nurse. And the kids sit around him and they shout a word, Shiloh. And he goes on about the buffalo runs, or he goes on about the signings of the declarations. And it's just, I saw my dad in that moment. Not the sitting in a rocking chair, but just, it's not that he can't read, it's what he finds joyful in life, that he's so full of these things he wants to share. He's not, he doesn't know when and how to all the time, but he just wants to provide them to someone else because he's had them inside him all this time. And that's the power of stories, I think, fictional or not. They provide you with a means to, they provide you with a path toward compassion and toward liking or caring about others or understanding how they are. It's like Foster Wallace said in his troubled human being as he was in the speech, this is water. It's so easy to tell ourselves stories about our lives and someone else's. It's so hard to find out what else they could be and to see what truth lies in that. So I was presenting Time Machine just as a piece in our genre fiction class for discussion. And in that moment hit me when someone asked why that story, I said, because it reminds me of my dad. Because that's him. And that experience I've had, I have had folks on the show, recorded episodes or not, who've had that moment as well. It's partly why I think I've decided to pursue many years as a journalist interviewing people. Because I find in conversation, questions get asked, deeper, important ones that you don't necessarily mean to. I just, I hear them, I feel them, and then I want to know. Uh, Have you had a moment like that from the interviews you've run? Yeah, I mean, I've probably interviewed uh, close to 100 people now 
uh, just in, in mm-hmm. my podcasting experience. And there will be times where I go in with one plan. <laughs> it'll go a certain way. And then I hear a story and I'm like, well, I can't just stop. Like, I need to hear what happens next. I need to hear, well, what were you thinking when that was happening? Mm-hmm. Or how did that impact you as a person? And it's like all of my notes now become obsolete. Like, I just, I can just throw them away because it would be... I, I would feel I would feel irresponsible mm-hmm. not pursuing that rabbit hole. Oh, there's a the fellow I have Andre Rodriguez on for the next episode eleven, which will roll out soon. He he's incredibly outspoken, but he had dropped early in the conversation the lowest point of his life, and it was still painful to talk about even now. So we talked about it a bit, but we came back it around to the we came back around to it later in the conversation when I said. I want to know what your biggest failure is. Because he had mentioned offhand, we have to be willing to fail. We have to be willing to sacrifice. And I went, all right, what's yours? I I knew what he would speak about, but I wanted him to actually go into it that time. He just needed to let it sit and feel... I think, and I'm I'm speaking for him, which I truly try not to do, but I think, and we all do this, we want to feel like we can trust the person we're speaking to before we get into those moments. We have to know that you're not going to judge or evaluate, that you're, you want to hear what we're trying to, in some cases, elucidate or explain for the first time. And the fellow I interviewed a few episodes before that, Dave Geiger, some man with schizophrenia who's been in remission many years, but his journey is terrifying. You know, at 24, he has his first bout of schizophrenia, thinks his employers are trying to kill his wife so he does instead, and then comes down from that and realizes what he's done. And now, and this is years ago, back when we didn't know what we did about schizophrenia, which is still not enough, but now here's a man trying to figure out what is his life, what's left of it. Can it have meaning? Can it have purpose? Can it have value? Can he forgive himself? Can anyone? And I've talked with him a number of times, but it's still each time you speak with him, he revisits those moments and he's still trying to survive them. But I remember I was talking to a friend and I said, no, they asked this. They asked this question, which is what one I brought into it. They said, there are two things I want to know. Have you forgiven yourself? One. And two, do you think you're worthy of being forgiven? And to be fair to Geiger, he answered both quite honestly and humbly, I would say. He said the first one he went, I have to forgive myself. I couldn't stay alive if I didn't. As to whether others do, that's that's for them to decide. I can't, I shouldn't, and I won't force them to. But, yeah, there. that was a tough interview. It was hard. There was a lot of intensity to it, and I felt to a certain degree guilty asking the question sometimes, but I also feel like I have to be there for the audience to ask the questions, the things they would want to know or find out. And sometimes, yeah, it's a silly conversation. Like two brothers who fight over Marvel versus DC because they always have their own things to define themselves. And if our uncle comes in with comic books, this will be just another delineating line. But sometimes it's like in our still unaired episode of the four narrative beats, sad, funny, beautiful, weird. Sometimes the moments are sad or weird or just places you have to stay quiet. Well, and what I love about podcasting is the the freedom that you have 
to yes. pursue those conversations and the freedom you have in the storytelling and, and how you craft your show and your episode to really reflect who you are as a person. You know, when you first start out, you're just trying to make sure it all <laughs> sounds passable, you know, like you're not going to offend anybody. Is the auto anybody. quality good? Am I hiccuping? Did you get the teacup? Did I hear the tear? Right. Oh, th- There's so many <laughs> things you're, and you're spending hours editing out the, oh God, another um, why? <laughs> yes, I've, I've gone past the point of no return saying, I will not edit out ums. I just, I'm just going to live with them and, and, and repent later. Um, you know what I found? Certain people, if you try to cut them out in particularly, you ruin the rhythm of their voice. Yeah, they stutter, they um, they like or whatever to get on the, they get on to where they're going. But there is a music to that. And if it's, if it's unclear what they're trying to say, then I'll cut it out. If people are so stumbling over the words that I lose the thread as a listener, I'll cut that out. But if it's just a, an attempt to try to explain something that is in formation in the moment they're explaining it, and they trip a couple times as they try to find the right rhythm or way to say it, fine. Because that, for me, I find, and partly why, I was listening to so many podcasts as I was recovering, I couldn't read, couldn't lift my head. The ones I stayed on with, I'll plug them because I still listen to them. On Pops, which is a comedian and his group of friends that have been on forever now. John Hodgman, the Judge John Hodgman Show, and that was a great model for a show that evolved into its premise. Here are people with silly arguments, and I'm going to find the deep emotional heart of that. And for me as a writer, that's a wonderful lesson to be able to listen to someone and the characters and their conflict and their voice, and for a person on the side to keep asking those questions, funny, needling, occasionally harsh, but often and always with love, to find the heart of the argument and what can be resolved from that. And if you want to learn conflict, it's a great episode. If you want to... So this gets into partly as a writer why I love doing some of these shows too. We have an actual play series where we have a premise. Okay, we're going to do alien invasions. And each of us is going to run this our own way. You're going to be the kill them all. I'm going to be the monkey's paw. And we're going to have people sign up, have characters, etc. And run a premise. Although they'll do with it as they like. For me as a writer, that was phenomenal. Because... It reminds you that characters have a life and a mind of their own, and you as the creator don't get to control that. You're there to find out what happens. You're there to drive them and see what comes next. And it teaches you to lose control or let go of control because you never had it anyway. You know, we we have templates for the episodes, but I don't think I've ever stayed to them. (laughs) How about you? It depends on which kind of episode it is. And that's what's really cool is, like, I love kind of fleshing out and, and figuring out every person's unique approach and style mm-hmm. when it comes to their episode. Because because podcasting has really no boundaries, except the ones that we give to it, you really have the freedom to make it whatever you want. And so so it's interesting to see people's approaches, who they emulate, who they try and imitate, and then how they shape it to reflect mm-hmm. who they are. So, so I'm actually really curious with your current podcast, like what is your approach to putting episodes together, having people on just like not just the, the structure of the episode, but also mm-hmm. the emotion that you hope to convey as people listen to it? Hmm. It's funny because I do think at the beginning I was looking more to emulate or to try what other people did that succeeded or worked well. But you only find your audience and they you when you are authentic and true to yourself because they need to know, like, and trust you. 
that's at the end of the, they're there for you for your friends for the guests the folks you have on it's right in your ears is intimate that's a conversation they're a part of or they have in their lives so trying to be anything but that is silly that said learning how to make that easier for people to listen to or to follow is its own exercise and that can take a lot of practice and refining i found for our earlier episodes we tended to meander a lot because i have a trophy in derailing I will take any conversation and figure out where it goes next because my curiosity will lead me in that direction. Oh, you said this? Let's follow that line. And Tom is still trying to get a soundboard to hone me, to rein me in on that. He has not <laughs> succeeded. But the I find it out an hour episode is a good conversation. And if it looks like we're going to be two episodes or two hours, be comfortable with that. Be all right. Realize the conversation is going to have a natural break. Let that be an episode and have it as a midpoint. We'll follow up on the next. So, okay, if this needs a little bit of explanation, have an opener and a closener. Closener, closer. Occasionally we put stingers on if there's something just so weird or unique or unusual that has its, it deserves its own little bite at the end. It might not be a story that fits into, but it's just a fun piece that shows and highlights who we are, what we're like. Yeah, that could go in its outtake episode, but I'll be honest, those are a pain to assemble. So for me, I find... Hey, that's a fun little quipper bite at the end. We'll put that there. Or occasionally a cold open. Someone has just a, such a powerful story. And there are a couple of folks I've interviewed from the New Media Summit that I was at where they've said something. One, Lenore Swan. Swan. She opened up her pitch with the following line. I want to slay her. I'm Lenore Swan and I want to slay a giant. And immediately I'm in. I want to know who the monster is and how she's going to fight it. So I've spoken with her, and there's this immediate story she provide, she's going to provide about formulating the right solution. This is medicine we're talking about. She's a pharmaceutical tech. It sounds conceptually dry at first until you talk about the chemo patient who's a child that she has to make this for. And she has to consider whether they're going to take it, whether it'll taste right, how she can make that work for that individual child, how her expertise comes into that, and how many things she has to fight to get that to work consistently. And when she first told me that story, I went, Lenore, this is your origin. This is why you're doing this. This is the heart, why you care, because that's what we connect with. We'll hear what's inside the head, the pitch, the who I am, why I think. But what we connect with is what's right here in the heart. And the hardest part of presenting other people sometimes is taking what's inside their heads, letting it go through their heart instead of their mouth, so that when people hear that, they don't hear the ba da ba da ba they hear the boom, boom, boom. The things you feel, the why, what drives you. And occasionally, yeah, as the podcaster or the host, I will be there to say, all right, it sounds like this is what your story is about, or this is a theme I'm noticing here. To elucidate or elicit or pull out those pieces, both for the person, oh, person I'm interviewing and for the audience as well. And that's just who I am. That's how my mind works. So I'm not forcing that. Although practice interviewing like you have hundreds and hundreds of times, eventually you get used to and just desire. You want to ask questions. You just want to and continue to ask questions to know more. But I have learned as an interviewer, because there's a difference between the episodes where here I am talking about process, showcasing myself and my work and my thoughts. We'll all go on forever. As an interviewer, someone asking the questions, learn to be comfortable with your own silence. Give the other person the room to speak, to breathe, to find themselves. And yeah, if they're not sure of how or why you ask something, explain and answer and try again. There's The joy I find with podcasting is that, well, unless you're live, and even if you're live, 
it's okay to mess up. If you say something wrong, if you ask something the wrong way, if you're not sure how to, you can say, I'm not quite sure how to ask this, but let's try. Because one, it shows humility. Two, it shows that what you actually care about is not presenting yourself, but what you're mutually trying to discuss or find out or provide for someone else. And when I do a template now, I have three things, just three big beats. The real or fictional worlds, the thing you do. Is it a story? Is it a job? Whatever it is you do. Those who create. Let's get into you, the who, the how, the why, and what inspires. I like to end on what inspires because it helps the again for it helps again for us to connect to the person we're speaking to. And it's like a mutual origin story. When you when I said dandelion wine and you smiled, that's an experience we both had. We may have taken we might have taken different things from reading that. But there's a shared commonality in why we want to read those stories, why we appreciate Bradbury. My first story of his was There Will Come Soft Rains. And here I am at 14 going, this is what words can do? I want to write like that. And mind you, my parents were journalists. I grew up listening to music. I'd always been writing. I've been writing since I was two. But reading There Will Come Soft Rains, it wasn't the words I paid attention to. It was the feelings they, it was the feelings they inspired. This moment of just standing there in this house as it finally, in its last breath, collapses with no one else there to care for it. In a world where everything else has already transpired. That finality in those last moments. The thing I find about interviewing people, whether it's about stuff they write, about their lives, as Bradbury says, we are all poets when you get into that moment in their life. When you dig down deep enough to what drives or inspires them, there's a beautiful, incredible story to share. And I have to get back on the show at some point. She runs a nonprofit down in Africa for families who want to help their kids have education, get medical support. And there's, there's this incredible story that she shared with me, which I would never have believed. And I can't even do it justice providing it now. But long story short, one of the kids as a child, you know, very young child said, my uncle has this whole paradise waiting for me that he will one day come to take me to this farm of food and animals. And everyone's going, oh, look, this, this is a harsh life. Of course, as a child, you create this fantasy for yourself that makes that's something for you to aspire to. Until one day, sure enough, his uncle arrives. To, where to take him to? To his farm full of animals and everything else. And they're standing there just agog. Because that's not real life except for when it is. And... I ran into my neighbor the other day. He was a former public prosecutor. I said, I'm curious. Who was the hardest case you ever had? He goes, Gotti. I walked down into the cells and I saw him sitting behind the bars. And that man, that man decided he was king and that he was right and nothing here mattered. That's who I had to deal with. Gotti. It's a fellow I see walking his bulldog every day. If I had never asked, I never would have known. But we'll have him on the show at some point because I want to dig into that story now. What was that fight like? How do you slay the giant? That's all great. I was just listen. I was I was just enjoying hearing story after story. Um, well, and 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 what I love about this, like 
this this is an instance where I have all these notes and all these great things to talk about, but I just want to I just want to camp here because I think this is so fantastic. Um, well, it just means we'll have to do multiple episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Not the end of the world. Um, tell me a little bit about the the people that you've met through podcasting that you wouldn't have otherwise, like people that you've connected with, had on your show, developed relationships with because of your podcast. Oh, wow. I find that now that, and this is even with the older generations, now that they understand it's basically just radio on demand. And they all grew up with that. My dad had his radio, still has his radio glued to his side to listen to everything. So they get that desire to want to talk and hear and communicate with other people. And the, nowadays, most folks will ask what your show is about, and you'll tell them, or I'll tell them. It's about the real or fictional worlds, take, you know, blah, 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 blah. But the tagline, take life by the tail, I find people connect with more, because there's a call to action there. There's a thing we all aspire to, to live, to desire, to joy, to be more, be more in life, with life. And almost everybody I met at this conference, which had 200 people, this is 40-odd folks who have incredibly successful shows, their own followings, their own businesses. They're there to liken the voice, evaluate, and decide whether to have us as guests, but also just out of the 150 people from all walks of life. We have spirit healers, we have entrepreneurs, doctors. Everyone I talked to wanted to be on my show. And that was a strange moment of I've worked for so long as a business owner and as a consultant where you're you're always striving to connect and find the people who will hire you or work with you. But here, because I am doing a thing I care about that I love and I drive, when you are there and you present that to someone else, they immediately connect with it. And this sounds a little woo-woo, I know, and I'm not really, but there's that light in their eyes where they go, I want to be a part of that too. And I want you to be on my show. And the great thing about podcasters is we're a, we are really, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, odd, I know, I've been talking the whole time. We are, <laughs> a, we're a tight-knit community. We will, sometimes there are accusations like, okay, you review me, I'll review you, we'll both give you the other five stars. I find people fight about that, but no, it's a, we all love what we're doing and we want to help and encourage others to be a part of that as well. And when I was invited to join the ESO network, it allowed me to then be on other people's shows to on the nerd bliss podcast, which is about things you're nerdy about and following your bliss. We talked about the actual joy of writing and we did this storytelling exercise where you take two characters. So I did two from my book and then I think they did Picard and Lando Calrissian is there too, because it'd be easy access for the audience. And we play this really simple game of, okay, I say a word and try to figure out which one of my characters, one, either, one or the other, neither or both would say it and why. And they'll do it for Picard and Calories and Nicole also. And I find with that very simple exercise, you always elucidate, you, you discover these incredible moments. We did this with our class, the class I run, storytelling class I run, workshop I run last Sunday. And the first word someone threw back at me was relationship. I should have known the moment I suggested this, I'm going to have to answer that one too for the two characters in my book. And I thought, wow, I, because I, speak as the characters when I'm recording, I'm struggling with either one trying to use the word directly. And now I wonder why. Why would neither use that word? Why would they dance around it? How would they dance around it? To what purpose? So we did this with the card and Calrissian, and out of it, we came out with, we devised this whole premise for 
all right, what is Picard's first return to the show? He's going to be in the hologram deck, in the holodeck, living out this little fantasy of retirement he has, running a candy shop or a toy store or whatever. Just Picard being a grumpy old man doing what he wants to finally. And someone coming down to the holodeck to drag him back out of that onto the main deck for launch. That's the opening to the new Star Trek. We came up with out of that conversation. I forget even what words brought us there, but it was something that led to Picard being running his own little retirement community in the holodeck and just being there and nowhere else on the ship and fighting the crew to go, you know, to do his work. And we do this on the Geekly Oddcast. We do it on Auto Worlds. We get to play. And I think that's one of the essential parts of the podcast. You get to find people who also like to play, but also provide that experience as entertainment to someone else. And that is a rare community to find yourself a part of. Podcasting is def like I, I found it to be tribal in the best sense of the word. Right? Yes. That there's an instant connection, right? Like whenever I interview somebody and we're doing the Zoom call, like as soon as we start talking shop, it's like we're the best of friends or we've known each other for years. It's like this instant understanding of, I know what you're going through, you know what I'm going through. Oh, there's so many war stories. And, and you, just, you just feel this connection, right? And you laugh about things. Like I had a guest talk about how she had somebody come over to her apartment to record an episode. And right before her guest got there, the lawn maintenance people started mowing the grass right outside <laughs> her window. It's like, oh. but we all have a story like that. And it's just, it's oh. so... So it's it's really it's really cool, and it, it's like something that I'm proud to say that I'm a podcaster, right? Like, like there are certain things that you love about yourself and feel bring out the best of who you are, and I think that podcasting for for most people, if not all, kind of gives us an opportunity to, in a sense, be a little more human than we would in real life with people we aren't familiar with. I it was so odd when I had to pitch my ninety seconds. Because you can do the two minutes, but if you use your two minutes, then you get no feedback. So you want 60 seconds, you want 90 seconds. This was at uh, the National uh, the, Speakers, the media, Writers Concert? The, uh, the New Media Summit down in Tampa. They're doing another one in September in San Diego. Okay. Because I'm on, I'm on the mic all the time. We're recording all the time. I communicate with my friends via Skype all the time. This is nothing unusual. But suddenly, here I am, seen. And yeah, the judges have their backs turned. They're, they're not facing me because they're going to listen to me as they would a guest on the show or as an audience member on their show. They want to hear what that's like. And if they like you, of course, they'll turn. But here are 150 people out in the audience and we're live streaming too. And they didn't even tell us how many people were on the live stream, which is probably for the best. But my dad's a photographer, you see. And when I was three on my birthday, do you know where I went during that party? Under the table. I don't like to be seen. He has such a hard time taking pictures of me because I will blink, I will stick my tongue out. It's reflex. I have had wedding photos we need to redo, take, because I will just, at the last moment I, the light goes on, my eyes are closed, my tongue is out, something is there to make me not a part of the photo. So here I am with the mic, and I remembered a piece of advice someone said, don't speak to anyone but the one person you're trying to speak to. Just find who that is. And I've done a lot of public speaking before, but it's been a while. So I took my deep breath, did my stretches, and of course it was random. They called Jay. My name is J.A., so I'm first. And I go. And as I'm saying and speaking the pitch, I realize it's not a pitch. It's just who I am. It's literally who I am and why I do this and why I want to work with you to do more of this, and why I love doing this, and why I hope you love 
to as well and want to be a part of that. And podcasting forces you to live that life. You will not survive it. And that way it's kind of like being a writer or any kind of craft or creative work. You have to love it more than the days you hate it because you will find there are days you hate it. Or you hate everyone on the show. <laughs> we're people. We're going to fight. There's going to be conflict. We, we run a storytelling show. There's a premise we have to entertain. Not everybody plays nicely together. And sometimes that leads to issues that you wish hadn't happened. But you have to, in those moments, decide, are we going to learn from this and let the pain go? Or are we just going to let it crash and burn? It's so easy to do the latter. Just go, oh, this isn't going to work. I give up. I'm done. But no, if you sit back, you talk, you actually try to remember, hey, these are your friends. We like being around each other. We may not all like being around each other right in this moment. But we are willing to try to do this thing we've agreed to. And let's figure out how to do that. And that's an important set of skills to have or to learn or to start learning if you haven't before. Podcasting forces you to deal with people all the time. So as a person who twice a week cloisters himself away in his own mind to write and exist with characters who don't exist otherwise, it is helpful and useful, I find, to return to this life and this world. Well said. <laughs> well said. I did not rehearse that. <laughs> Which is true, I didn't. No, that's that's great. Um well listen, I mean I could I could talk all day about mm-hmm. humanization of people and, and, and how podcasting impacts us and, and the stories that we get to tell. Um but uh but I do want to wrap it up. First of all, just Jared, thank you so much for sharing your story, man. Like that was so inspiring hearing about everything that happened and and how that really brought you to a place where you had a sense of clarity that I need to create something that's meaningful to me and meaningful to the world. And I think that that's something that a lot of podcasters feel, you know, regardless of how many people listen to your episodes, that it's much more about the depth of the impact. Um, and so I really just appreciate you sharing that. There's a Irma and Rocky Kalish. They were writers. This is short, I promise. <laughs> no worries. But it, what you said reminds me of an experience they shared with us, and it was for a purpose. Erman Rocky Kalish, they were writers in All in the Family on MASH, a number of great comedic episodes, and serious ones too. Irma shared a story with us one day uh, about meeting a friend who she hadn't seen in years, and they were talking, and her friend had survived breast cancer. And when Irma asked why, she said, or what, what got her through that, she said, you know, I was watching that episode where Edith has that breast cancer scare. And it made me think, maybe I should get it looked at too. If she can have that, I might too. If it's that common, you know, if it's that possible, sure enough. But that episode, just someone being brave enough to make that story apparent and real to someone else, to say, hey, this is part of our lives. Be aware of it. Understand and appreciate your body and who you are. And Irma's sitting the whole time going, I wrote that episode. I wrote that episode do I say something? And she said, no, I I didn't. I decided not to because that wasn't the important thing. For me, the thing I realized in that moment was even though it took years, I changed someone's life. It doesn't, if that's the only person that episode affected, and it probably isn't, but even if that's just, even if she's the only person that episode affected and helped, 
I have done my work. And I am happy and satisfied with that. Well, that is, that's a great way to end. Uh, I do want to ask you one more question. This is a fun question. I'm always oh, really? curious what I get to hear from, from podcasters, especially those that have a longer journey. But if you could take a time machine back to the day before oh. you started podcasting and offer yourself one piece of advice, what would you say to yourself? <laughs> uh, let someone else do the editing. <laughs> Outsource the editing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the... It is the biggest consumer of your time. And like any craft, you can improve yourself and refine what you do. But like Dave and I were talking, if I can find someone else who can do it as well as I can, not that I'm by any means perfect, but if I can find someone else who can do it as well as I can, I would like you to take it instead. Because this, the conversations, finding the people, all of that, I want to be able to provide more of it. And there are certain structural or technical elements that usually tend to bottleneck. Editing's one of them because it's usually time or cost. Or, well, it's not an or in there. It's time slash cost. It's a matter of what you're spending or what you're paying. And the reality is you never get time back. Money you can make more of. If you want to hear more stories from Jared, which I highly recommend you to do, make sure to check out Here Be Tigers. That's tigers spelled with a Y, so T-Y. G-E-R-S, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you wish that you could be the next guest on Podcasting in Real Life? Well, you can. All you have to do is click on the link in the show notes for this episode to submit your application. And if today's episode inspired you or something really resonated with you on a personal level, I would love to hear from you. Now, the easiest way to do that if you have an iPhone is just to leave a review in Apple Podcasts. And if you don't have an iPhone, just jump into the Uh, buzzsprout podcast community over on facebook to let me know what you thought well that is it for today thanks for listening and as always keep podcasting